from staff and their production. I love that. Hey, have you guys ever had a moment that you felt super guilty? Like, like not just like, oh, man, I got caught or, oh, I got in trouble, but where you feel that, like, in the pit of your stomach, terrible, guilty feeling. I'm going to share a story with you, and here's what I need you to do. Please don't judge me. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be vulnerable, but I'm going to tell you about one of those moments that I felt that deep, gut-wrenching guilt. I was at junior high camp as a junior hire, and my brother was a couple years older than me, but he was also at junior high camp, and there was this girl who was super obnoxious, like super obnoxious. I said, don't judge me, okay, so just hear me out, hear me out. Super obnoxious, and she was kind of like, Always, you know, kind of just talking and talking and talking. And we were like, man, let's, let's play a prank on this girl. And so we decided, for some weird reason, one of our friends had brought something to camp called X-Lax. And X-Lax, if you don't know what that is, it's a laxative that if you're having a tough time going, it makes kind of everything go out of you, okay? And so they, they made it in these, like, little chocolate pieces, like, like little, almost like soft chocolate candy. And so we got a hold of this soft chocolate candy and we concocted this terrible plan. And the plan was this, I was going to shove it in a candy bar, like stuff it down into a candy bar, take a bite without eating that part. And then just say like, oh, I can't possibly finish this candy bar. Anybody want it? And then she would take it. And here's what is so crazy about this story. It worked. So I took a bite out of, you know, the part that didn't have the X-Lax in it, and I said, oh, man, I, I can't possibly finish this candy bar, which how many junior hires start a candy bar and can't finish a candy bar, right? Like, that should have been the first warning sign that something was up, and she's like, oh, I would love to finish the candy bar, and so we're like, okay, and, uh, and she sits there, and she's eating it, and we're just like, you know, internally, we're like, we, we totally pulled off this prank. This is going to be awesome. This is hilarious, you know, and like, invisible high five to each other. And we're like, this is awesome. And the next thing that she said, I wish I was making this up. So she finishes the candy bar and then she kind of gets serious. She says, hey guys, I just want you to know, you're like my best friends. It gets worse. It gets worse. Hang on. She says, you guys are like my best friends, and I have enjoyed camp together so much, but I'm leaving early to go on a road trip with my grandma. And she gave us a hug and left on a road trip with her grandma. And immediately, that feeling of not, not just like, oh, wow, that, that was bad, but like, that deep guilt. How could I possibly have done it? How could I have been a part of something like this? And that feeling, and I've had that feeling multiple times. If you've had that feeling, just you don't have to like tell me the whole story. Just raise your hand if you've ever had that, that feeling of guilt. Okay, here's the beautiful thing about the account of Jonah. Is we learn about this God who loves us, and we learn about a God who's a God of not only first chances, but second and third and fourth and fifth chances, and on and on and on it goes, because all of us, even if you haven't felt that deep guilt, all of us are deeply guilty. 
And yet God loves us. If you guys have your Bible, Jonah chapter 3, we're over halfway through the account of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. First time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What did Jonah do? He fled for Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Okay, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time because he's a God of second chances. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And this time, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. So instead of going to Tarshish or the front, front yard, he goes to Nineveh or the backyard. Now Jonah, as he gets the second chance, he goes, okay, God, no longer am I going to run from you. I'm going to turn, and I am going to obey. I'm going to where you send me. And here's the deal. God uses even a messed up person like Jonah. In fact, God specializes in using messed up people to be a part of what he is doing in the world because that's all he has to work with. All of us are messed up. All of us have that deep guilt. All of us have run from God. And the beautiful thing is God loves runners, even Jonah, even us. Now, Nineveh, it says, was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So you couldn't just walk through it real quick. It took three whole days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. Now, here's his message. So Jonah's going to obey, but he's going to keep the message really simple. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words. That's his whole message. So all that God has taken Jonah through, all that God has done to bring Jonah back, and Jonah's like, bare minimum, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And here's what it says in verse 5. That simple eight-word message, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. These people who were rebellious, these people who were in many ways evil, Jonah preaches this message and it says that they believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth, meaning that they were repenting. They were turning from running from God and they were like in humility going, okay, God, yeah, we messed up. And they are mourning their own sin. They're feeling that guilt and they're turning back to God. Now, during this time, we know in history, there's actually some interesting things going on in this time period. There was a total solar eclipse. And so in that day and time, they didn't, they didn't understand how all the solar system worked and all that. And so sometimes when there was like an eclipse, people would start freaking out. And so there was this total solar eclipse, so they're kind of freaking out. There was marauders 100 miles to the north, and there was a plague that had been in the surrounding area. So when Jonah shows up, it turns out God had been working behind the scenes in the hearts of the Ninevites. God had been doing more than Jonah could have realized in their hearts because they were going, I feel like something bad's about to happen. So Jonah shows up and says, hey, if you don't repent, if you don't turn, God's going to destroy the city. You only have 40 days, and they go, okay. We believe you. And they repent. They turn back to God. Nineveh, one, they believed God. Two, they turned from their sin. Their belief in God led to a change in action. They turned from their sin. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, so it goes all the way to the top, to the king of Nineveh, it says he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Again, this is an act of humility. He's repenting. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles. So he's giving a new law to all of the people. He says, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. 
Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. So he's like, even the animals are repenting. The cattle, yeah, everybody. Everybody's repenting. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, listen to this. This is the heart of what this account of Jonah is about. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. When we repent, God relents. When we turn to God, God hears our cries, he hears our prayers, and he relents. You and I, what we deserve for our sin is destruction. And there is nothing that you and I can do on our own to fix that. I used the chairs earlier this morning, and I talked about how our sin has separated us from God. And every religion on the planet, religion is this, it's advice. Every different religion, all the different ones out there, it's advice on what you and I have to do to work our way to God. The Bible teaches something different. It's called the gospel. It means good news. It's not religion, it's news. Religion is something you have to work for. News is something you choose whether or not you will believe and receive. The good news is this, when you and I couldn't work our way to God, God, in love, in mercy, and in grace, worked his way to us in and through the person of Jesus. And when we put our trust in him, when we turn from trying to do things on our own, whether that's religion or whether that's rebellion. See, Jonah was religious, but he was running from God. The Ninevites, they were rebellious and they were also running from God. When we turn from religion and when we turn from rebellion and we start trusting in a relationship with Jesus, our Savior, God relents. I need help. Who can help me out right here in the hoodie? Come on up here. What's up? What's your name? William, everybody say hi, William. All right. William, I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you're sitting front row, so you're probably like, you know, like front row student, right? Like you're really well behaved. Like you seem like, even just the way you carry yourself, I can tell you're a gentleman. Okay. So William, uh, have you ever felt that, that feeling of guilt? Yeah. Yeah, you have? Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell us why. Okay, okay cool, cool. Um, so William, the Bible teaches that because of our sin, which you just confess that, yeah, you've been there, you've done that. Because of our sin, it, it, it's like, Isaiah says this, it says our sins are like scarlet. Go ahead and wear that. And sin goes from just being something, okay, yeah, maybe I messed up a little bit. It, it becomes part of kind of like our identity, who we are, and, and God doesn't want us to stay there. See, so, so Will here, he's got a problem. He's got a sin problem. And here's the deal. God is just meaning that just like a judge, like when there's somebody who's guilty, a judge just can't ignore the guilt, right? Like imagine in your mind a courthouse with a judge, and every time somebody came in, whether they were guilty or not, or if they're guilty, he's like, you know what? No big deal. Just go on. He wouldn't be a judge for very long. Does this make sense? Nod your head yes if this makes sense. He'd be a terrible judge. You would say, well, that judge isn't just. Well, God is just, so he can't just ignore sin, but it it's become such a part of who we are. All of us run. All of us sin. All of us are guilty, including William. Sorry, bro. And God, because of his justice, he can't just ignore sin. So why doesn't God just destroy sin? Well, here's why. Because he loves us. 
And to destroy sin would mean to destroy us. So now we have this tension. See, God is just. He can't ignore sin, but he's loving, so he can't just destroy it because it's a part of who we are. And so to destroy sin would mean to destroy us. So here's what God did. When we couldn't work our way to him, God worked his way to us. And through the person of Jesus, Jesus lived a perfect life. Meaning, he did not sin. He never ran from God. He never ran from God's design. He never ran from God's direction. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He lived the perfect life that William couldn't live. And then Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that you and I couldn't pay. He took the debt of our sin upon himself. Now, William, can I have that that jacket back? He's like, yeah, please. It's getting hot in here. Yeah, so hang, hang, hang right there. So Jesus took the debt of our sin that we couldn't pay, and he paid for it on the cross. Now, here's the problem. William, God's standard is perfection. And William, see, even though his sin is paid for through faith in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, there's something that's missing. He's no longer clothed in that debt, which again, Isaiah says our sins are like like crimson stains, like scarlet. But here's the deal, to stand before a holy God, the standard is perfection. But the Bible teaches, this is in Romans, chapter 4, verse 25 says, he, talking about Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. He paid for our sins on the cross, and he was raised to life for our justification. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith in Jesus, not only does Jesus take the debt of our sin and pay for it on the cross, he clothes us in his perfection, his righteousness. So when God sees us, he sees the perfection of Jesus. That's the gospel. That is the gift that God offers. Now, a gift is not something that you have to work for. I mentioned this verse on the first night, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. Now, William, have you ever received a gift? What's the coolest gift you've ever gotten? You don't know? Like you've got, he's like, I've gotten a lot. I've gotten a lot of cool stuff. Have you ever gotten like a video game system? Yeah, what kind of video game system? Well, we you won it. Okay, well, you didn't, you didn't have to earn it, right? It was a gift. Now, what do you do when you get a gift, William? Um, I use it. You use it. Okay, do you, do you ever like, if, if I gave you a gift right now, what, what do you have to do to get that gift? Receive it. Receive it, right? Take it. Now, there you go. It's invisible. Okay. <laughs> now, William, what's the polite thing to do after you, you receive a gift? Say thank you. William, I knew you were a good kid. All right, yes, say thank you. And, and that's what you do. You receive a gift and you say thank you. Everybody, can you give it up for William? I'm going to take that jacket back. You don't have to earn a gift. You don't have to work for a gift. You, you receive it. And I love what William said. He nailed it. You say thank you. The Bible teaches that Salvation is a gift. It's not something we have to earn. It's not something we have to work for. For the Ninevites, they cried out to God. He heard their cry. 
Romans 10, starting in verse 11, says this. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him, talking about Jesus, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, whether you're like Jonah. And Jonah wanted God's grace in his life, but he didn't want it in anybody else's life. Jonah was religious, but he was still running from God. Whether you're like the Ninevites, who were obvious rebels, obviously running from God, or whether you were like the sailors who were just clueless, all of them, when they call on the name of the Lord, God hears them. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we repent, God relents. Tonight, here at Hume SoCal, God is inviting you to receive this gift, to exchange your sin for his righteousness, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you've worked for it, but as a gift of his grace. And if you're here and you've never said yes to receiving this gift from Jesus, he lived the perfect life you couldn't live, he paid the debt of your sin, and he wants to restore this relationship between you and the God who made you, your heavenly father. If you're here and you've never said yes to receiving that gift, I want to help you. If you're saying, yeah, I'm ready to receive that gift, Robert, I want to help you do that right now. If you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to say yes, I, I want to say yes to receiving this gift, and in a moment, we're going to thank him for that gift. I'm going to help you just talk to God. I'm going to ask that if, if you want to say yes, that you would pray with me. If all of us, we would close our eyes, bow our heads. There's nothing magical about the prayer I'm about to pray. I'm just going to pray these words that I think are really the heart of what it means to say yes to receiving this gift. And if you're ready to say yes to receiving it, would you just pray in your own heart, your own mind between you and your heavenly father? Just pray with me. Jesus, I know I've run from your design and your direction. Thank you for paying my debt. Thank you for conquering sin on the cross and death through your resurrection. Jesus, I say yes to your gift of grace. And I choose to follow you from now on. Jesus, you are Lord. Would you lead me? I pray. Amen.